she's all right. Well, this evening, before we get too deep into the message, which isn't too long anyways, I did want to celebrate one thing that our church did this, this last week, and, and it was actually two weeks ago, or a week and a half, I don't know, it was last week. Um, Kame, are you over here? Can you, can you just stand up real quick? She, Kame, with Love, Inc., organized a toy drive where over 500 kids and families from this area came and got toys. And she just did a phenomenal job. There's a whole youth team. Gabby was a part of that. Josh was a part of that. There's too many people to thank. And Nico was part of that. But over 500 kids got toys. And this place was buzzing. So can we just give them a round of applause? And we just want to thank you for donating some of those toys. And it just seems like every year this has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And so we were just so excited that we were able to provide for the community this way and for kids who um, have needed it. So as we dig into uh, this evening, before we get right into it, I just want to say there is a tear-off deal on your bulletins. Let us know that you're here today. Um, Get plugged in, get connected. There's a lot of great stuff coming up in the new year that you will not want to miss. If you have your Bible, slip open with me to Isaiah chapter 9. So, Isaiah chapter 9. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit this evening about not so much of when Jesus was born, but, you know, they've been telling this story for hundreds of years before Jesus was born. In fact, there was these people called prophets who, who got this, these pictures and these messages and began to tell the story of what it would look like when the Messiah came. And so they began telling these stories. And all through Ezekiel and Isaiah, there's all these stories and all these different great word pictures of what it looks like when the Messiah would come. They were expecting it. It was funny. Um, it's important to get messages right. I mean, we do this every day, right? We're, we're used to getting messages right. Every single day we send messages on our phone, right? And it's, it's, it's vital that we get these messages right. And the interesting thing is all of these stories about the coming Messiah were right. I wanted to tell you a funny story today about one of the things that I did with messages. That just I left my iPad open on the table. And there's this messages app, they correlate with the phone and all this stuff. And I get this message from, we, we have, Desiree and I have foster children, so our, our foster son's um, old foster dad sent me this message. And it says this, he says, thanks man, I, uh, I love you too. And I'm like, what, what is he talking about? And he says, I mean, I've felt that way for some time now, but I just haven't been able to find the right moment to say it. But I guess... It's out there, yeah, so I love you too. Wow, it feels good to have broken the ice. And I'm thinking, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> and, and, I, and it turns out, so on one of these keyboard apps I have installed, there's, there's, you know, it picks words that you use. My girls were playing with my iPad, and they had texted him. They had texted him, love you, I love you. And he's just a funny guy, and so he just responded back, oh man, it feels good, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for saying that. But it's important to get messages right. I mean, I was reading this when, I, when we finally found out what happened. I was reading this to my wife, and we could not stop laughing. We were crying, laughing so hard. But there's times where messages get mixed, huh? You've probably had these moments where autocorrect gives you something completely other than what you meant to say. 
We've had those times too. But the prophets back in the day of uh, 700 years before Jesus, what amazes me is we're spot on. 700 years before, minus all the technology, minus the world being changed by Steve Jobs, minus all of that, they got it right 700 years before. So what I want to do is this evening go through a little bit of Isaiah chapter 9 and just look at the glory of Christmas through this passage. Isaiah 9, it starts by saying, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Obviously, those of you here who are biblical scholars go, oh yeah, I know these lands, that's obviously. No, here's what's going on in this text. There's this land, Galilee, where Jesus is from. And there's this phrase at the time that people would say, can anything good come out of Galilee? Galilee was looked at as damaged goods, wasted, not worth the effort. Because at this time, see, they're, they're saying something amazing is going to come out of this land. But at the time, no one could see it. They all thought Isaiah was crazy. The reason being is because it was conquered land by the Assyrians. They had gone through there, and in a bloody war, they had taken people. They had taken resources. They had demolished villages. The place just looked desolate. So 700 years before the coming of Jesus, it says, In the land of Galilee a baby will be born. Something good will come out of Galilee. What's amazing to me about this is it sort of seems like whatever is broken in our lives, the Savior can redeem. There was this land that nobody thought in their lifetime or any other lifetime, as a matter of fact, would ever be anything good. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've thought, man, can anything ever good come out of my life anymore? But with Jesus, that land was now revolutionized. I've been through there. I've walked through the Galilee. It's a gorgeous town. In fact, the, the amazing thing here is that Jesus, probably with his dad, in the, in the very first part of, of the very first century, he was probably rebuilding some of the towns from the destruction even hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But it was just this time of rebuilding. Can anything good come out of this land that was so torn up? Maybe somebody's ever said that about your life. Maybe you've said that about your life. Maybe you said, holy cow, why would anything good ever come out? I've been so messed up. But the great thing about Christmas is the reminder that the Savior is in the world, that the Messiah has come, and that what has been broken can be redeemed. And that's the message of Christmas. So to us, we read it, it just looks like a couple of random city names. But what's really going on here? is that he's saying what was broken, what was torn down, what was damaged goods, what was no good, is completely restored. Maybe you're there this evening. Verse 2. The people in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is written in all the birth stories of Jesus. In all the birth stories, in, in Luke chapter 1, they say, Behold, the light of the world is among us. And all the birth stories of Jesus has talked about this great light that has come to fill the world. Darkness symbolizes sin. And in this world where sin reigned and darkness reigned and hurt and brokenness reigned, God sent his son right in the midst of it. 
so that you could have a Galilee experience, so that you could be restored, so that your brokenness could be healed, so that his death on the cross could mean something. The light came. Maybe you're here and and you're struggling with doubt, depression, anger, hate, and you get continually pulled into this cloud of darkness. What I see all through Scripture, even all the way into Revelation, from the very beginning, where it says, in the beginning was light. And at the very end, there was this great radiant light in the book of Revelation that came from the throne, which was God. What I see all through creation is that God is the light. If you're living here in darkness, you know, God wants to shine a light on that for you. God wants to lighten your load a little bit. God wants to walk with you through that and show you the way. That's another great thing about the coming of the Messiah at Christmas. A great light has dawned. Verse 3, Isaiah 9.3 says, you have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Joy is more than happiness. Joy is pervasive. When you sense joy, you know, you could even be in the midst of terrible circumstances and even still feel joy because you first connected with love, which is God's heart, love. And when you've connected with that kind of love, which the Bible calls agape love, which in its very nature has nothing to receive, only endless amounts to give. When you connect with that, the result is joy. And when we, when we have this sense of joy, it is easy to walk through tough times. It's easy to walk through the darkness. It's easy when it's rough because you have joy. And it's more than happiness. Happiness, it, happiness changes with your circumstances. Happiness changes with the burnt meal tomorrow or not. Happiness changes with what, where the wind blows, but joy is pervasive. And God wants to give you this sense of deep joy. Maybe you're here tonight and you do not have a sense of joy. Maybe you're here tonight and in fact you have a sense of anger or brokenness or resentment. Maybe it's even against the church. I mean, I tell you, I, I have stories I could tell you um, why I didn't go to church as a kid. And now I'm a pastor. It's just ridiculous what God does. But maybe you've got stories of why there's no joy. I've been there. I, I've fully get where you're coming from. But what God is saying here is what he wants to do is walk side by side with you and increase your joy. It's one of the consequences of God breaking into our world that we could now have joy. Isaiah 9, 4 says, For in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. See, this is a time in which foreign occupation was a theme. They understood, they lived in a land that was conquered a lot. Israel constantly had different groups and armies coming in for resources, for water, for just to take the land. They had trade routes. Israel had everything. It was, it was a perfect little slice of land. I mean, this is why they're still fighting over it today. They're still just ama- it's an amazing country. And so they were living in a time where they were just oppressed by people. Even in the time when Jesus was born, the tax rate was an estimated 80%. Many of you are going to go pay your taxes in a couple months. 
I dare you to just say, oh, you know what, how about 80%, right? That's not going to happen, right? I mean, we complain today. There's a lot of people that complain today about taxes, and probably rightfully so. But can you imagine 80% of your taxes being taken, your income being taken, I should say, 80%. They lived under foreign oppression. They lived under brokenness. They lived with this foreign, they call it the foreign rod that was constantly striking them on their backs. And this is how all of Israel felt. They were looking forward to the day when a Messiah would come, when God's Son would take care of them. Many other nations in the Bible represented Israel's sin. And so what Isaiah is saying here is, this is all your fault. This is all, remember, when Midian comes, when all these other nations come, it it represents your own sin because you were not listening to God. In fact, this oppression and all of this stuff is all self-inflicted. It's all self-inflicted. We get that way sometimes, don't we? Where a few months ago I talked about character bombs and how we, sometimes our character blows up in our face. Sometimes our sin, our junk, our old baggage, our messed up stuff tends to blow up in our own face, doesn't it? They're character bombs. And that's what was happening to Israel. Israel was in a time where their own sin, their own character came back and bit them in a rough way. And the very thing, so what the, the, the prophet is saying here is the very thing that burdened you, your own sin, the very thing that came back to bite you, my son will take care of. Those character issues that, that, that are, are just terrible in your life, I will take care of. That's what the Messiah is saying. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire, And then it says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government will be on his shoulders. This is an interesting one because in in Hebrew, this word government is really rare. It's not used much. And so, so a lot of people don't really understand what it means. But really what it's saying is that God's good reign that God is, will be in control. Not necessarily like a democratic government, but God's control, God's will will take over. So when Isaiah is saying the government will be on his shoulders, what he's saying is God will rule a new kingdom. In fact, he'll raise up new people to be a part of this kingdom. And he'll take these people and he'll make them into a certain type of people that are redeemers that know the redemption of God and that can hand this redemption off to other people and show other people what it's like to be saved and show other people what it's like to have their sins forgiven and to walk free. This is what it means to have the government on his shoulders. And it gives him all these names, five names, and he'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, which is... Amazing because there was different gods around these times. Different countries had their own religious systems and they had different names for their gods. And these were scary names. These are names that you had to bow down in fear. But what God said is, when I come, the way that you'll know that I'm here is that it'll be wonderful. 
that I'll be your counselor. In fact, I'm a personal God and I want to walk with you through life. I want to talk with you on issues. I'm living and active. Mighty God, that God is in control and can overtake whatever circumstance you're facing in life. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. These are amazing names. There's many kings in our day. Even now, there's many things that we worship. There's the God of money. There's the God of fame. There's the God of celebrity. There's the God of sex. There's the God of darkness. And it really simply begs the question this Christmas Eve, who will we follow? Will we follow the God who's wonderful, counselor, almighty, everlasting God? Which God will we follow? And then it says, the greatness of his government and peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and on his kingdom, establishing and upholding it and with justice and righteousness for the time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What's amazing is that Jesus' birth was the birth of a whole new kingdom. When Jesus came, when he said the, what the gospel was, he simply said this, the kingdom of God is available to you. And what he's saying is this new reign of God, where God is in control, is completely available to you. And you can step into it and walk into it if you want. And it will be marked with justice and righteousness. That's how it's going to be marked God's reign will be forever expanding. That's what I love about this sense of Isaiah 9. He says, of the greatness of his government, governance or his reign, there shall be no end. And when you really think about that statement and the weight of that statement and what he is saying, it's amazing. Because you go back to the very first century AD and you're like, okay, fine. Jesus came in the first century AD. Within 300 years, the entire Roman Empire became Christian. And then a few years after that, the gospel had traveled into India and through the Silk Roads. And a few hundred years after that, it had gone all the way up through Europe and into Britain and down, um, and, and down through Africa. And then a few hundred years after that, it had gone across to the New World and all the way through South, South America and North America. Isn't that amazing? When it says, and, and the increase of his government shall be forever expanding, almost exponential. It's amazing that 2,700 years ago, they talked about this. They talked about us. That there would be these redeemers in the world who would change things. See, I think God has a great and glorious plan for all of his people, and it involves the church, it involves you, it involves me in his forever-growing kingdom. And it started with Jesus' birth on this world. See, God wants to reign in this world, and he wants to do it through you. God wants to see redemption happening in this world, and he wants to see it happen through you. Jesus died and was raised again. But God has no other tool on this earth than the church. And he wants to use you to be this beautiful, redemptive community to highlight to the rest of the world what it looks like to forgive people, what it looks like to love people, to highlight what it looks like to have this all-loving, all-inclusive community with God himself at the center and its most glorious inhabitant. God wants to model that 
in this world, and the only instrument he has is the church, is us. And so God wants to reign through you in this ever-growing, ever-expanding kingdom. He simply wants you to be a part. He simply says, come and join me in this work. I want you to be a redeemer. I want you to, to, to talk about the birth of my son with people in powerful ways. I want you to experience true forgiveness and redemption. I want you to experience this full life in me. And when you experience this full life in Jesus, then you could be part of this forever growing, forever expanding kingdom. God wants you to continue his work through the birth of his son. God wants to have a whole new generation of redeemers. So at church, we don't come here to sing songs and and to tell nice stories every Sunday. We come here to equip people for the redemption of the world. And we think it's one of the most important jobs in the entire world. And the reason why we think that is because we have been redeemed. I have lived a life in, in the past. I've said things and done things I'm not proud of. There was a time before I was a Christian when I used to just say whatever. I used to tear people down with my words. I just, I wasn't proud of it before I was a Christian. And then when I finally met Jesus, when I found out that that his blood on the cross, his blood on the cross actually blotted out my sins and made me whole before God. I said, wow, I've got to have a part of this. In fact, most of you know my story, but I'll I'll just tell it real quick. I went to church, in fact, to challenge the pastor, the youth pastor, and and I was going to basically tell the youth pastor, hey, you're running a cult here, and I think you should all disband. And so he said, I challenge you basically to read the book of Matthew, and when I read it, the grace and the mercy of Jesus hit me like a ton of bricks. And I said, wow, this is a God who I can follow. So what I would challenge you to do today is to become a redeemer. And if you want to become a redeemer, first you need to be redeemed yourself. First you need to say, Jesus, I've got some messed up stuff in my life. That's what sin is. It's just junk. It's messed up stuff that shouldn't be there. If you don't believe you have it, ask your husband or wife. (laughs) They'll tell you all about it. And you simply need to say, God, I give this over to you. And I ask you to live through me. That's simply it. And when God redeems you, you cannot help but join him in his mission for the redemption of the world. Because God wants to do big things. I believe God wants to do big things here at Neighborhood Christian Fellowship. I believe God wants to do big things in the community and in this world. We really believe that he wants to transform lives, families, and communities through the truth, love, and power of Jesus. And we know that he could do that. So I want to invite you today. I mean, we, at church every Sunday, like I said, we don't just sing nice songs and tell good stories. I mean, we do all that too. Music is, uh, is great, and, and we, we teach directly out of the Bible. But what we mainly do is equip you to be redeemers of the world. I want to invite you to come every Sunday and be equipped. It's simply that. It's that simple. So I want to invite you to do that. And two, maybe you're here and you simply are, are, are like Galilee 2,700 years ago, broken, rotting, dying, and you need a new start. That prophecy was that God will redeem Galilee and something great will come out of it. Maybe that's your story today. Maybe that's where you're at.
You simply need some restoring and redeeming done in your own life. Would you pray with me this, this evening? Like I said, maybe you're here and you need to start something brand new. You've got that junk that's messed up in your life. The only person that can handle that junk is not sitting next to you. It's not your mom or your dad. It's not your best friend. The only person that is qualified to handle the messed up stuff that we've done, that we've said, that we've thought, is Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to give that over to him. And even if it's you today, to start a brand new relationship with him today and say, Lord, I need to start something new with you. And I know I need to begin walking and talking with you. And I know that I need to start fresh right now. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I just need to come back. And I need to step into the mission that God has given the church to be a redeemer in this world. I need to do something with my life. I want to challenge you. If you're in one of those two spots today, I want to challenge you simply to stand. And we're all going to stand in a minute, so it won't even feel awkward. I just want to challenge you to stand. I want to pray over you. Lord Jesus, maybe there's some folks here today who simply need to restart with their life. Just like Galilee needed to restart 2,000 years ago, just like your son needed to come and proclaim this new kingdom. Lord, we pray for them right now that you would start that relationship with them right where you're at. Lord, maybe there's some here today who simply need to say, I need to come back and be equipped. I need to step into the mission that God has given the church so that lives could be changed. Lord, we pray that you would be stirring hearts even right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you all stand?